dive into this week. And uh, if you uh, are here, you know that last week, or if you were here last week, you know we finished up a series, which means this week we're going to start off a new series. And so we're going we're gonna to be kicking off a new series. And so regardless if you're ready for the new series or not, we're going to do it just because that's the way we roll. You know, we just go. We're going to keep this thing moving. And uh, so let's get out our Bibles uh, or version Bible apps, and uh, let's open them up to Genesis chapter 37. That's where we're going to be at today. Genesis chapter 37. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. So we're going back to sort of the beginning, a little bit, not the very beginning, but 37 chapters in, and uh, it's going to be fun. If you're taking notes, we're going to call this series Silver Lining. Silver Lining. That's what we're going to title this series. You can just do part one because it's going to be three parts, and so just Silver Lining part one. And uh, what we're going to focus on in this series is we're going to focus on families, which is cool. You know why? Because we all have one. <laughs> Did you know that you have a family? Every single one of us, we come from families. We all have families. We all got them. And so I thought it would be cool for us as we look at families. Let's look at some families in the Bible and let's see what we can maybe learn from some of these families in the Bible. And so we're going to go and start off with Genesis chapter 37. We're actually going to rather than hit all the families of the Bible, we're just going to focus in on this family of the Bible for the next three weeks. But Genesis chapter 30, because there's a lot to learn from this family, okay? So Genesis 37, verse 1, and we're going to read through 11 to kick things off, and then we will come back and sort of pick it apart. Here's what it says. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhi and the sons of Zilphi, or however you say that, his father's wives. And uh, he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaves rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers again. Man, what a brother. I mean, like you are really earning some points here. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. Let's pray. God, I want to invite you into this message to speak clearly to us. Lord, we always pray that you will open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see, and open our minds that we might understand so that you'll soften our hearts so that we'll receive it. Because we also know that we need your strength and your courage in order to put what you speak to us into action. And we don't want to just be hearers of your word. We want to be doers. So we ask, Father, that you will help us to be your church and everybody in this place. Say 
Amen. Amen. We got to work on that. I mean, like you guys, I think there are some of you that didn't say it. So I don't know if this message doesn't really land. Uh, I need some help. All right. So anyhow, um, so one of the things that I've learned in my 29 years of being alive, uh, I'm older than that, but I, that's what I feel. And that's the age I'm going to go with. Uh, one of the things that I've learned about families is this. I've learned that you can't necessarily find a perfect family. Okay? You just can't. You can look for them, but you can't really find a perfect one. Okay? The moment, like, like, like every family that you will find, yours included, okay? Your family, my family, every family that you look at, like they all have these little quirks about them, right? They all have this little dark side to them. They all have their own imperfections, if we're honest, right? I mean, the moment that you actually think that, hey, I think I just found the perfect family, right? Because you've been scrolling through Instagram and there's this somebody that you know that's been posting all these pictures and you're like wow they got the perfect family but then you get to know them and it doesn't take long after you get to know them to discover something right they have their own quirks dark sides and imperfections and you're like holy smokes mind blown like you might be more dysfunctional than i am right and it's like man that makes me feel really good but about the time that you're actually feeling good then you look at your own family and you say but yet there's still something here that's off right there's something about my own family that doesn't necessarily measure up. There's some brokenness that I'm I'm looking at and I'm, I'm just saying to myself, you know what? I don't necessarily think that this is really the way that family is supposed to be, right? I mean, that's just sort of the way it goes, all right? But they're, 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 there's just that reality. So that's one of the things that I've learned as I have examined different families, okay? Now, maybe you've seen something else. You, you're like, wait a second. I got the, well, okay, all right. You got the perfect family. All right. But, but I just think that there's something there that we need to pay attention to, right? Now, also, there's a saying uh, that is out there. And uh, maybe you've heard the saying before. The saying goes like this. It goes, every cloud has a silver lining, which is where we get our title for the series today. Every Every cloud, right, every storm has a silver lining. Have you ever heard that? Sort of a cool little thought when you stop and think about it. Uh, and I think what that quote or that saying actually is, is supposed to mean is that with every storm or cloud that comes in, in, uh, in life, because there's a lot of storms and clouds that we experience throughout life, right? Life is messy. And so when one of those storms or clouds comes, there, there, there's always going to be something good that can come out of it if you look hard enough, right? If you look at that storm, that, that circumstance, that thing that like, man, it's just not so well or so, so good. If you look hard enough, you can find the silver lining. You can find that good thing that is actually attached to that bad thing, right? And, and I think that is a cool quote, and I think it sounds really nice. But when it comes to the tension that oftentimes happens inside families, I think to myself at the, at the same sense, I'm like, man, I don't know if there is a silver lining all the time, right? At least the silver lining isn't very easy to see. And it's probably because we're too busy looking at the response of the mess, the mess that is involved in the tension, right? We're not looking for the silver lining. We're looking at the mess that our family has created. And so all of a sudden we begin to to say, you know what? Like there's nothing good that can come out of this, right? I get it. I understand it. And oftentimes when you look at the mess that comes with families, when you look at the tension that oftentimes emerges, what you find is that people tend to respond in different ways, right? Because of personalities. So the way that you might 
respond to the tension, the way that you might respond to the mess inside your family. And I'm talking your family or extended family. I'm just talking about families like there's a big group of, you know, uh, dynamics when it comes to family. People respond differently based on their personalities. But I think there are three sort of main things that you see repeat oftentimes when, you, when you're talking to people and talking about the tension that happens inside their family. There's three responses that people tend to usually fall into. And there, there's actually a lot more than that, but three main ones that I, I have identified. The first is going to be this. The tension happens, the mess happens, and we play the ignore card. Have you ever seen somebody play the ignore card? I mean, that's a fun one to play, right? It's like, I'm just going to pretend like you don't exist anymore, you know? And so the family gathering happens and you're just sort of walking into the room and it's like they walk into the room and it's like you don't even acknowledge that they're there, you know? It's just sort of like, I'm going to pretend like you don't exist, right? I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to look at you. I'm just going to, you know, I, I'm here at the party. I'm going to hang out. I'm going to hang out with you. But like, you're not going to be present. And so we play this ignore card and that's one of the ways that people tend to respond. Another one is this, the victim card. You've probably seen somebody play this card, right? It's, it's that card where, where, where all of a sudden it's like, man, they did this to me, right? I didn't do this. They did it to me. And there's nothing I can do about it. So therefore, they need a change. Not me. There's nothing I can do. They have to change in order to make my life better, right? It's all on them. There's no ownership, right? It's the victim card, right? And the other one is the I quit card, right? And you see this too, where people all of a sudden, they just throw that card down and they're like, man, I'm done. Done. Last straw. Um, I'm, I'm playing the card. I give up on you. I give up on them. And I'm out. And I don't want to ever see you again. I don't want to ever be, you know. And so it's like, I'm not going to go to any family gatherings. I'm not going to be around you. I'm, I, I'm done. And they, they just plain quit. Those are three cards that get played when it comes to the tension within the family dynamic. Okay. Often, right? You've probably seen them before uh, because there's a lot of families out there. And there's a lot of families that play those cards. And so they're not foreign to us. And there's some other cards that we play, but those are three very common ones. Now, you want to know what is wrong with those three cards that we oftentimes play? What's wrong with them is that they don't get you to the place that you desire to be. So if you're playing a board game and you play a card, the reason you play the card is because you want to win, right? You want that card to actually get you to a certain place in the game that would put you ahead. When it comes to playing these cards inside the family, the truth of the matter is we don't want a dysfunctional family. We don't want a messy family. We don't want the tension inside the family. We want a family that is whole, a family that gets along, a family that likes each other. That's what we want. But when you play one of these cards, it does not get you to that place, does it? Matter of fact, if you play one of those cards, it tends to make things worse. So what do we do when it's hard to be around family? How should we respond when our family doesn't necessarily act like they should? Good questions. And I think the best place to answer those questions would be the Bible, right? Because if you look through the Bible, what you're going to find when it comes to studying the families of the Bible is you're going to find that pretty much every single one of them is dysfunctional. Matter of fact, I would make an argument that they all are dysfunctional. You can't find a family inside the Bible that is like, man, that is the model that I want my family to be. There is a lot of mess when it comes to the families of the Bible. And so we're going to look at one dysfunctional family that is in the Bible, and it is the family of Joseph. 
Okay, Joseph was a part of a dysfunctional family. As you saw in our text, it's a little bit dysfunctional. And we're going to sort of pick his family apart and see what we can learn. So a few things that I want to point out about Joseph's family. One is Joseph came from a family that was quite large. Okay, it was a large family. And I'm not talking like Team Refsland large. I mean, we have our fifth on the way, right? You know, that's large in some people's circles. But I'm talking like his family was more like that reality show. Have you ever seen that reality show, The Duggernuts or something like that? What, what, what's their name? What, what, what's their name? Duggers. The Duggers. See, I don't really watch it. But I know they have a lot of kids, right? The Duggers, right? Is that right? So they have like all these kids and it's like a little bit weird and a little bit out there. So that's going to be more the size of big that Joseph's family was. So how big was it? Okay, well, Joseph had 11 brothers at this point in the text. Okay, he eventually got another one. Uh, But at this point, he had 11 brothers. Okay, and he also had one sister that we know of. He might have had more sisters than that. It's just in our text, usually the, the, the girls weren't written into the text. So there's a very good chance that there was actually quite a few more. More siblings in the family, but we know of at least one sister and 11 brothers at this point. So it's a large family. Now, Joseph's dad was named Jacob, and he was the first in the Bible or the first to record uh, one of the biggest parenting mistakes that one could ever make when it comes to parenting, right? Uh, he was not the best father. And what mistake did he make? He made the mistake of choosing a favorite, <laughs> right? People still do this today, right? You have kids and they choose a favorite, right? This is my favorite kid, right? It, it's, it's a common mistake that parents make. And Joseph or Jacob uh, was the first to make this mistake, uh, uh, first that we know about, right? And we know this, why? Because the Bible tells us that he made this mistake. You just read it. Genesis chapter 37, verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Okay, it spells it out pretty clear because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornament robe for him. Now, when it says Israel here, but Israel is actually referring to this guy by the name of Jacob. Okay, so they're playing because Israel became the sort of the family, the tribe eventually is where Israel came from. So so it's referring to Jacob here. And so Jacob made this mistake of choosing a favorite son. And one of the ways that we know that is because the Bible tells us. But then he also made this coat for his son, this robe, this special, special, special coat. Now, what about this coat was so special? Well, it was probably a coat sort of like this. The million dollar coat, okay? I looked up on Google just sort of for fancy coats, some of the hottest coats out there, some of the most expensive coats out there, and I found this one. The million dollar coat, you can Google it. I, I, I don't think anybody ever wears it, but like this thing is like supposedly over a million dollars, and it's like, wow. I mean, this is the kind of coat that Joseph got from his dad. It was the kind of coat that would have grabbed your attention. It was very colorful in that time. Color was not something that was a common thing. It was very expensive. In that time period, when you were shepherds and taking care of sheep, you didn't want something that was expensive. This is the kind of coat that if you were wearing and you walked into the building with your friends, they would have caught your, you would have caught their attention. They would have been like, whoa, what are you wearing? Dude, dude, that coat. I mean, what is that? That's like, that's crazy, right? And so all of a sudden, you would have been like, yeah, so? No big deal. My dad bought it for me. Just a coat. You know? Like, that's what's going on here with his brothers. He has this really, really fancy coat. This coat that, that demands attention when he walks into the room. And he's just like, no big deal. Dad yet got it for me. But the brothers, on the other hand, 
Imagine what, what, what they're feeling when they see him walking around with this coat. Imagine what they're feeling. They, I mean, they're, they, they got to see him walking around with that thing and saying, man, dad obviously loves you more than he loves me. Dad likes you more than he likes me. And so they all of a sudden, as you see in our text there, they begin to hate their little brother. Oh, man, the baby of the family. You know, I just want to, oh, man, I just give me some of that. How about we sell that thing and see what we can all get? We'll just split it amongst all of us, right? And so the hatred begins to build. Now, if you were one of the brothers, wouldn't you sort of be feeling a little bit of that hate creeping into your life? I think that it would be a common feeling, right? But the family drama actually takes another step. Joseph begins to have these dreams. He has one dream and he shares it with his brothers. And the dream is all about them sort of bowing down to him. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist in order to figure out that that's probably a bad idea. Your brothers already hate you and now you're going to talk about them bowing down to you. And sure enough, they didn't respond well. They got more angry with them. But then Joseph doesn't have a clue. He has another dream. And once again, he goes and shares it a second time. And so the drama and the tension and the hatred that is building only is growing to the point that as you keep reading in Genesis chapter 37, you see what plays out. And what plays out is his brothers get to this place of being literally crazy mad to the point where they're out tending the sheep in the fields and they see Joseph coming and they get together and say, hey, here he comes right now. Let's take care of this and let's kill him. Sorry, I can't. <laughs> my, my iPad heard that and was going to help me with my message. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. They decide that they're going to kill their little brother. Now, it seems a little bit extreme, but it's been building. The tension has been building. Now, luckily for Joseph, his oldest brother, Judah, steps in at that moment says, okay, guys, I know that we want to kill him. I know that we ought to eliminate him, but I, I feel like that might be like crossing a line that we shouldn't cross. I got a better idea than that. How about we, uh, we sell him into slavery? <laughs> and then we at least get some money for him. And, and then we won't, won't see him again. I mean, so, I mean, still not the best idea, right? But I mean, maybe a little bit more humane than killing him. Uh, you know, it's like at least we let him live. But still, it's one of those things that isn't really the best option. It's not a family thing to do, right? And that's exactly what they do. They take the, the advice of the older brother. They say, hey, great idea. Let's do it. So they sell him into slavery for eight ounces of silver. And in that day or in our day, that would have come to being just literally not a, not a large amount. It would have been a couple hundred dollars, right? So it's not a lot. And, but they at least got rid of them. Hopefully, they will never see him again. Now, imagine that you're in Joseph. Joseph shoes. I mean, think if you will, that you, you just almost lost your life because your brothers were literally about to kill you. But then they decide in this moment that they're going to sell, sell you and they sell you for a few hundred dollars. And now you're literally a slave. You're no longer dad's favorite. You're no longer the baby of the family. You're no longer have this fancy coat. Now you are living as a slave. How did they do that to me? How do they do? How, how does, I mean, it, these, this is my family. These are my brothers. The questions that had to have been racing through his mind. And how does Joseph respond? As much as it must have hurt him, 
Joseph did not respond by playing one of the cards that we talked about earlier. As you read through the text, you don't see him playing the ignore ignore card. You don't see him playing the victim card. You don't see him playing the I quit card. Instead, we see that Joseph did something that, in my mind, is nearly impossible. (laughs) He did something that was absolutely astonishing. He did the opposite of what I think most people would do. So let's skip ahead in the the story. We're going to go several chapters ahead now. And this is actually not just chapters ahead. This is actually years ahead. Because throughout the years of Joseph's life, what you see is that through hard work and through faithfulness and through grace in God, you see that Joseph ends up as prime minister of Egypt. How in the world does that happen? That's a little bit crazy. He just got sold into slavery. So he goes from literally slave And as you read through the story, you see that he goes from slave to jail, from jail to literally living in the palace and being over everything. He became the man, the one that called all the shots. And so during this time period, as we skip ahead in the story, we see that now he is over all of Egypt. And Egypt is actually heading into this famine. There's this big famine that's coming his way. And Joseph is over all the food. And, and so uh, during the famine, everybody would come to Egypt, come to Joseph in order to buy food from him in order to survive the famine. And so people are literally traveling from, for miles and miles and miles to get to Egypt to get food. Otherwise, they're going to die. And so guess who shows up one day at his doorstep? You guessed it. His brothers. His brothers show up at his doorstep. They bow down to worship him and to beg him to give him let, let us buy some food from you in order for us to survive. Now, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. How would you respond? I mean, like, <laughs> sucker punch in the face, right? Take that, you know? Uh, call the guards. Hey, these 11? Yeah. Slaves right now. You know? Would you go put them to work? Would you make them your slaves? I mean, like, what would you do in that moment? I know what I would have done, but what I would have done wouldn't have been what God would have done, right? What I would have done isn't worth us talking the message about, right? Uh, What I would have done isn't going to make your family better. And so let's see what Joseph did in this moment. I want you to look at it. Genesis chapter 45, verse 4 through 5. This is what Joseph did. He said, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Can you believe that response? You talk about finding the silver lining. He goes on to say in Genesis chapter 45, verse 8, the first part, he says, So then, it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. Drop down to verse 11. He says, I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become desolate, destitute. So instead of hating on them or quitting on them, We see that Joseph chose to see the silver lining. But he could have still. He he chose to see the the silver lining. And and, and I know that he, 
He fully understood and he fully knew that what his family had done was wrong. They didn't act great, but he was like, you know what? Enough time has went. I've worked through this. And even though they did not act great, I can respond in a great way. And that's exactly what he chose to do. He chose to love the broken and dysfunctional family that he had because they were still his. There's so many things in this story and so many things that we just sort of flew over. But there's so many things in his story that we could pull out and sort of capitalize on. But one of the big things that I want to point out here this morning is this. It's the fact that God can use the worst situations for good. God can use the worst situations for good. How? I don't know. But he can because he's God. The other big thing that I want us to sort of see here is how Joseph responded really determined the quality of the relationship he was going to have with his family as he moved forward. He could have responded a different way, but he wouldn't have had a quality relationship moving forward had he responded differently. His response, his response really determined the quality of the relationship as they moved forward. So what could we do to respond better when it comes to our own family drama? The first thing that I think that we need to do in order to help our own family drama is simply this. We need to find compassion, right? We need to find compassion. Becoming a little bit more compassionate for those people that are in our circle, right, is the first step. If you want to make the right response, you've got to find compassion for that person, right? See, see them as God sees them. Because the truth of the matter is, like, how does God see you when it comes to you? God actually sees you with what? He sees you with compassion. You're not a list of all your mistakes, and you've made plenty, I've made plenty. You're not a list of all those mistakes. You're not a list of all your mess-ups to God. No, God sees you instead as somebody He loves and loves unconditionally. So what if we saw our family the way that God sees them, the way that God sees us? You see, if we did that, you might be surprised with how it actually affects the actions that you take towards your family. Because as compassion creeps in and as that compassion that God has for you flows out of you into them, all of a sudden things change and you respond differently. The second thing that you need to do is you need to start to focus on building character. Let me tell you this about character. Character matters. It matters to God and it matters in life. It matters everywhere. If you have good character, I'm telling you, it'll go farther than if you have bad character, right? Character is something that is a very, very valuable thing. And here's the cool thing about families. Families are the best place for you to develop better character, <laughs> right? Because families are that place where the, the, your character is always going to be tested. It's going to constantly be tested because families are a place where tension will always exist. And it can be painful to build character. But if you keep building character, at the end of the day, you're going to find the results that you find are going to be so worth going through the pain to get to that place. And so work on yourself. Work on building your character. Reed, you can come on up and uh, we'll get ready to close. As I was preparing this, I was just thinking of how hard and how heavy sometimes this is. Because when it comes to focusing on family and the tension that we exist, sometimes we just like to ignore it and pretend like it doesn't exist. But when we bring light on it and we say, no, it, it, it isn't perfect. There is some things that we could work on. We say, man, it is going to be hard for me to find that silver lining in this whole situation. 
And so if you want some help in finding the silver lining, the best place to look for help is to look for the one who can show you it. And that's God. Right? And so the first thing to do is to step into relationship with him. And I know most of us here today, I know all of us here today have that relationship, which is great. But if somebody was here today that didn't have a relationship with Jesus, the first thing I would point them to is him. I would say you need to start the journey of following Jesus Christ because as you follow him, he's going to give you the helper. When the helper is who? We talked about this the other week. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will actually come alongside you to actually give you help to find the silver lining in your worst circumstances. Because, see, we serve a God that works out all things together for good. He works all things. The worst of the worst. But, but here's the thing. The all things, we focus in on that and say, wow, all things for good. All things for good. But, but that's not the way that it works. It's God works. And until you understand that the all things, the worst of the worst, the worst of the worst never becomes good unless you allow God to do the work. You'll never find the silver lining unless you allow God to do the work. And so stepping into a relationship with him and going through that journey is what's going to get you to that place to have the bad situation, the bad circumstance that become good. So first step is starting that journey of following him. And I believe that we can all have a positive influence in our families if we're walking it out with him. Sure, our families might not always act great. But we can still respond in a great way. You can find good where there doesn't seem to be any good. It just starts by choosing to love them as God loves them. And God loves them for who they are. That's where it starts. But the cue that I want to give us this week to sort of wrestle with, to work through is, is this. I want us to begin to establish an attitude that will affect change. Establish an attitude that will affect change. Because this is what I know. Is that our perspective is the most powerful thing that we have when it comes to bringing change to our family dynamics. If our perspective is to ignore... If our perspective is I'm the victim or our perspective is I just quit, you'll never get to the place that you want to be. You have to have a perspective change, an attitude change. So establish an attitude this week within your families to say, I will be the one that will work towards affecting the change that we need to see within this family. Because you have more power than you know if you have the right perspective. Let's just take a moment and let's begin to just sort of pray that through. Because this is a heavy one. This is a hard one. But let's pray it through for a few minutes. And then I'm going to ask Greg to come and close us out.